for a fight and we fight pretty good Getting goals is our job and we get goals good Looking good, we are Carlisle United Carlisle United, the team that's on the ball Carlisle United, the team for one and all You're looking good and we're with you all the way You'll hear us singing every time you Well, at least the flags look good, Mike, eh? That's one thing. <laughs> Just yes, about the only thing you take from it, isn't it? Oh, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Brunton Bugle, your one-stop shop for all things Carl United. From Jason Price to Ivor Powell and Richard Lieber to Gary Liddell, we've got it covered. Uh, in today's episode, we're going to be looking back at the uh, the last two games. We finally got one point out of them, at least, I suppose. Um, we'll also be looking ahead to the games against Bradford City and Mansfield Town, and as usual, a bit of news and a look at what X United players have been getting up to and a little quiz as well. Uh, I've already said his name there, but I'm joined by one of my regular co-hosts and today it's Mike Booth. Mike, how's it going, mate? Not brilliant, is it, at the minute, really? Good as it can be, isn't it? It's just, we're just, I don't know, we're just sort of limping through the second half of the season, aren't we? There's just nothing to really get excited about right now. We're, we're not even limping, we've been shot and we've had both legs amp- amputated on the battlefield. Yeah, that's kind of how it feels. Like it's, it's it's not been fantastic to say the least. It's, it's mad to think it's recording on Wednesday here, and it's one year to the day since the Newport game. The last time, basically, any as many people as they wanted could have gone to watch Carl United play live. Mm. Crazy year, isn't it? Really, you know, who would have thought back then that you know only five games would have seen fans at and limited attendances for those mm. back then. It's 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 mad, isn't it? Really, really mad one. Anyway, let's get straight into it, Michael. We'll start off with the uh, the quiz. So uh, this is one that we'll um, come to at the end of the show as usual with the answers. But uh, the question for today's quiz is, I want you to name the 11 players who have either played for or managed Cal United who have been in a World Cup squad. So there's 11 players there. And we'll come back at the end of the show and give you the answers and give Mike a chance to have a little think about it as well. See if you can come up with as many names as possible. Uh, so let's go into the news. So... Obviously, United are still over a third of the current campaign left to play, but the EFL, they're already making plans for next season, aren't they, Mike? It's one of those things you normally get quite excited about towards the end of the season when they announce when the next season date is going to be. But I think people are even more excited now knowing that there's a decent chance that fans are going to be back. So the plans for the 2021-22 season have been announced and the uh, return back to the traditional First weekend in August, isn't it? That's going to be yeah. great, guys. Now, I, I imagine I'm mental though. If away fans are allowed, and I'm, I'm still not 100 percent convinced they will be, but if they are, just imagine how crazy it's going to be on the August the seventh that weekend. Oh, I know. I, I think like the first throw in, there's just going to be absolute limbs in the Carlisle end, like just climbing over each other, celebrating, and all, all the rest of it. But it, it'd be interesting to see what happens with the Euros first, because the they seem to be saying that the final could well be. Uh, full capacity uh, if everyone's vaccinated or something so I'm I'm not convinced about that well I've got tickets so just (laughs) let me okay let you dream let you dream Mike that's where you go yeah Um, when the season will finish depends entirely on which division we're going to be in can't believe I've said that based on the current Mm. form but yeah depending on if we're in League 1 or League 2 because what they do now is they finish the seasons on different days don't they for each division Mm. so uh, League One actually finishes a week before League Two, and then mm. League Two finishes on a Saturday, and then the, the day after the Sunday 
is when the championship finishes, so all games kick off at the same time, and I yeah. think they can show a couple of them live on TV as well. I think is the idea. I have um, sinned recently, speaking of that, in a, a few weeks ago, I sort of checked the championship and sort of which teams were at the bottom end as to, as to which teams, just, you know, we could just... potentially play in League One. And this week I've looked at the conference table to see which teams are near the top end. For Who are potential. near the top? You know, I haven't even had a look recently, so I haven't noticed uh, clue. Hartlepool are up there, <sighs> uh, Stockport are up there, uh, Sutton Stop. United at the top of the league, that's a new away trip. Uh, Stockport would be a decent away day, you know, I haven't done that one for a while. And yeah. Sutton, I suppose, is another London club, isn't it? So that's, that's mm. one way of looking at it, I guess. But... And Wrexham are up there as well with their, their new owners. Oh, I'd love Wrexham. Wrexham would be perfect for us because it's a nice, yeah. nice short journey that over to yeah. North Wales. But there you go. Well, that brings us nicely on then, Mike, to the match review section. So we're going to look back at the uh, the games against Morecambe and Grimsby. Um, another week passes and still can't find a win to drag ourselves back into the promotion chase, can we? Mm. Just no. never-ending. Eight games now without a win. Um, once again, we look second best for the majority of the two games, but... The late equaliser against Mariners provides that small glimmer of hope, doesn't it? it? It's beginning to look like an uphill task to extend the campaign, in, even in just into the playoffs. But that goal maybe, maybe just will be the turning point to give us a lift, possibly. It's weird, though. I mean, you know, I, you're trying to look at the positives of it, but in a, in a bizarre way, I kind of feel like drawing at home to Grimsby is kind of worse than the defeat against Tramit. You know, I mean, we we lost against Tramir and they were a very good side and, you know, we kind of lost narrowly. But Grimsby, while they sort of played well as a team, there was just no quality in there whatsoever, was there really? And it was for a very not, flat performance, was it? Yeah, for us to not beat them really shows how far we've, we've fallen. Absolutely. I mean, we spoke to the Grimsby fan last week, didn't we, on the show, and he wasn't mm. very confident at all. He's very confident about the club's future, but about the game itself, he was like, oh, basically saying that they had no chance. But I think we knew better, didn't we, going into that one? And mm. I'll say, predictions-wise, I predicted a defeat against Morecambe, which turned out to be true. Uh, and I picked a hammering win against Grimsby, which was nowhere near true in the end. Mm. It, it just goes to show, doesn't it? It's, um, mm. Yeah, I just, I just I felt I felt angry after the Morecambe game. I just felt very down. After mm-hmm. the Grimsby one, I didn't. I just. I felt flat. I felt like the season's just petering out. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go down. Let, let's be realistic here. I mean, I think it's Ed Walker. If you don't follow him on Twitter, he's a really good follow for all things League One and League Two. He, he's a little bit of an expert. Um, he tweeted out what the average points are for finishing in particular positions. And I think to finish twenty second in the league, so just outside the relegation zone, on average is forty seven points. In like the last ten years, or something like that. Um, well, we're on forty-three, so we're four points away from that. Well, not, mathematically, not we are exactly the same number of points away from top as we are the relegation zone. Goes to show, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> realistically, title is completely gone now. The top three is probably completely gone as well. Mm. If we're honest, it's it's one of those ones. So it, it just feels like the season's petering out towards a bit of a disappointing finish. And yeah, I mean. It's just the players' body language when we sort of go down. They they just seem like, I don't know. I mean, there's just no sort of fight there. And if you want a mild celebrity anecdote here. So, Mm. as you may well know, uh, Accrington Stanley assistant manager Jimmy Hill's wife sells pizzas on the pizza county. Jimmy Hill, Jim Ryan, isn't it? 
thought Jim Ryan. I thought it was Jimmy Hill. Jimmy Hill's the one who, who man, presented Match of the Day and, and oh, managed commentary and all that. Well, whatever his name, Jimmy, whatever his name is, his wife sells pizzas at the uh, the Asda in Entry uh, near us. Are you Googling it now? No. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, uh, and my dad often shops there and has a bit of a crack of football with her. And a few years ago, um, John Coleman like said to the Accrington players, he gave this speech basically saying it's all right for you lot some of you you know you're only on loan and you're going back to your parents club parent clubs and all the rest of it but for me as a manager this is what I get judged on I get judged on your results and if you're not you know pulling your socks up it's me that gets sacked at the end of the day mm. and that's that was like the turning point for Accrington and you know look at them now and I just feel the players they're not playing like this sort of want Beach to be in the job. You know, I'm not I'm not saying that that's the case, but they're not looking like that. No, it, it, it's a fair point. Jimmy Bell, by the way. Wait, Jimmy it, Bell, that's the one. That's the one, not Jimmy Hill. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, it brings us on to the main talking point I picked out for this review bit, Mike. When is it okay to start talking about the manager and whether his job is under threat? Because mm. it, it's caused a lot of heated discussions among our fans over the last few days, hasn't it? Mm. When you look on both Facebook and Twitter, and this, this, there is a bit of a split developing. I think. I, mean, I think there was a there was a post on the Be Just and Fear Not Facebook group that asked people what their thoughts were in terms of Beach's future. And to be fair, there was a lot of comments in support of him on that thread. But then when you go to the match review threads and things like that, people aren't that impressed. And how how long can you rely on this credit for the first half of the season for? It, the performances against poorer teams have just been unacceptable in recent weeks. And how long do you get to the point where you have to say it's, it's okay to look at and say he's done really well? We're on a roll. He, he put us together into a team that was flying. But the other side of being a manager is to get a team out of a rut, to get a team mm. back winning games. Whether it's getting a scrappy one nil win, well, you know, in the games where we took the lead, in one of them, surely you've got to look back and think, well, why is he not? I know there's talk that Guy and Furman can't play in the same team. Why not try it? Put them mm. both in there and say, right, we're going to sit and protect here. And then maybe leave a couple of pacey players up top and say, we're just, you know, if they get a chance to create some magic and do something, brilliant. But otherwise, we're just going to sit and we're going to try and grind this out because carrying on playing the way we are isn't working. I mean, how long do you reckon they might, this can go on before people start to ask questions seriously? Well, for, for me, I mean, I've said all along that it boils down to, I think, start the season, the board will have said mid-table is acceptable. And as of right now, we are in mid-table. In it, It's when we start to fall below that that I think these questions are maybe going to be asked a little bit. But yeah, like you say about um, Guy and Furman, um, I mean, I remember under Keith Curl, he liked to sort of play a four-four-two sometimes with two sitting um, and that was that, that year that we made the playoffs. He had Luke Joyce and Mike Jones sort of holding, didn't he? And he, and he had mm. uh, Nicky Adams on the left. I think Jason Kennedy was on the right wing. And he wasn't a right winger, but he was just getting the box and caused yeah. problems. And, um, and it, you know, it worked. But I think, you know, I'd be willing to sort of change it up and, and do anything right now. But I think, like Joe Riley, I think... I, I couldn't believe it in the uh, George Tanner interview that he never played centre mid before. I think he was the only player to come out of that Morecambe game with any credit, I think. 
Um, and we, we we could play him as a winger. I think we could play him as a central attacking mid, midfielder. We could we, we could use him in so many different ways because he's just so sort of adaptable and and useful. I think he'd be a good right wing back. I don't know. Mm. Tanner was rested for the game against um, uh, Grimsby the other night, and Beach was a little bit cute and a bit you know not not giving every, anything particularly away in terms of what had happened there. And he's had, mm. seen suggested that he'd had a conversation with George about his performances since he'd come back. And, you know, he hasn't probably hit the same sort of level that he was before, but I mean, that's to be expected, I suppose. I, I wouldn't mind seeing Riley playing as wing back. Because actually, to be mm. honest, second half against Morecambe, that's pretty much what he did. He played it right mm. back. Mm. He took Tanner's role and actually he looked a threat. He got up and down and, and he can mm. put a good ball into the box as well. Mm. It's maybe worth a try that. I don't, I, I don't know. It's, it's one of those ones, isn't it? But I think Tanner's form, I mean, he he's a very good sort of uh, fullback at getting forwards, but the way that we're playing at the minute, there's no sort of patient build-up play where you're letting your fullbacks overlap. We're just lumping it forwards, and then it's coming straight back at us, and our fullbacks don't really get the chance to sort of, you know, do them overlaps and all that. It's just, and, it, it, and it's weird because, you know, I'm not saying that we were playing tiki-taka, playing it out from the back before this you know, rut started. But these lumps forward just seem so aimless, whereas before they were concise and they were direct, you know? Absolutely. I think you spot on with that. And I think Lummy agreed with you on the radio. I mean, you, mm. you obviously watched the match and listened to the commentary and you could just hear in his voice sometimes and his reactions. He, he really wanted to, maybe not tear into, but I think he wanted to probably be a bit more strong in his criticism. I think he sort of reined it back a little bit, which I can mm. understand, but... The amount of times it was just an aimless lump forward, and I, what I, I don't get what the game plan is at the moment. We seem to be sticking to that, and there's no attempt to maybe just tinker around the edges and maybe say, right, let's try and play out from the back a little bit occasionally. Mm. Farman doesn't have to kick the ball long every single time. Mm. Occasionally, use the defender, and then they can bring it a bit further forward and mm. potentially be a bit more accurate, maybe with a pass mm. out. Well, I mean, during a game, high press will not work if the opposition defenders just lump it over your midfield. It doesn't work. It only works if their defenders are trying to play it out and you're closing them down and you're causing them problems and you're going to make them make a mistake. But if they're just going to lump it forward, it's not going to work. And Beach needs to sort of assess when it's not working. Okay, we'll stop pressing so high up. You know, we'll let the midfielder sit back a bit and work it. You know, and during a game, you know, you, you you don't just sort of stick with the same plan A. Sometimes you go from plan A to plan B and then you get a goal and then you go back to plan C to sort of hit them on the break a little bit. You know, you can't just have the same game plan for the full 90 minutes. Like, and then when it's not working, carry on with that. You mentioned about Beach there. I've been slightly exasperated by some of his post-match comments in the last few games. I'm, mm. I'm generally calm about post-match interviews. At the end of the day, they're speaking not long after a game. Emotions are high. It's sometimes not the best time actually to grab them, really. It would be best to almost grab them the next day when they've had a chance to think and reflect a little bit. But I mean, some of the things he said, talking about starting games well. For me, if you start the games well, you should be making the keeper make two or three saves in that period, surely. Mm. Didn't feel like we did that in either of those games. I mean, more against Morecambe, bar the goal, I can't really think of their keeper having many saves to make at all, no. to be honest. Mm. Against Grimsby, you talk about the second half, you know, we put their keeper under pressure. I can only think of two shots on target, and that was Dickinson's header, which obviously missed with the rebound, and then mm. Zanzala's goal. And that both of them came in the 90th minute and just after. 
Well, I think we had a couple of shots on target in the first half, but they were just straight at the keeper. Yeah. They weren't testing him in any way, shape, or form. And you know, it's it's just bizarre. But you, you say his post-match comments, but some of his pre-match comments. I mean, before that Morecambe game, he was saying that Morecambe are a sort of similar club to us, and it's like, no, they're not. <laughs> you know, yeah, they've got to be manager. I think I almost think it'd be good if if actually. <laughs> If someone would speak to the manager before he comes and say, whatever you do, don't start comparing us to Rochdale or to Morecambe or things mm. like that, because it just gets the fans' backs up. Whether you mm. think it's factually right or not, it just winds the fans up and mm. fans get easily wound up by it. I mean, Greg Abbott, to be fair, the clubs he used to compare to us, us to were a bit bigger bigger than Morecambe. Yeah. I mean, comparing us to Morecambe, I, I know it, it, it's not exactly what he said, and I think people can be a bit facetious on these kind of things, but... I think as a manager, you could just got to be careful to use that as a comparison. I mean, let's get on this other point. Actually, something else that Beach did mention: COVID. Mm. He's not really. He's tried to sort of shy away from it when we first came back, but it started to creep into the last few post-match interviews, doesn't it? And he he let slip. I think after the Morecambe game, that over fifty percent of the squad has had COVID. Now we don't know to what effect or what level they've had it. Mm. Um, I've heard murmurs that it was. <laughs> worse than we really first thought. Um, there's a danger people are going to look at it and say, you're just making excuses now. And you do wonder, should they have been a little bit more open maybe after that first initial break and said, look, it's really badly affected us this and we we maybe need to temper our expectations because it's going to be tough second half of the season. Was there maybe a little bit of cockiness and arrogance is probably the wrong word, but a little bit of, I don't know, maybe they, they just expected it you know what, we'll probably be fine. A few of them had it bad, but it shouldn't be too bad overall. I think we'll get through this. Maybe there should have been a bit of a temporary of expectations there. I don't know. It's, it's a tough mm. one because we've seen that long COVID can have quite a bad effect on people, can't it? So mm. professional athletes, yeah, they are in better shape than most people. That doesn't mean that they're immune to this is an issue, are they? Mm. Do you think maybe we need to be a bit more realistic in terms of this? Well, I mean, you know, I, I I kind of understand, you know, I mean, I'm no doctor, as you may well know, but I, I understand that COVID, you know, long COVID, it can make you sort of more fatigued and more tired out, but it doesn't, surely doesn't stop you being able to play a five-yard pass. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, in a sense, when you're fatigued, that's when you start making mistakes, isn't it? Which is true. why your top-level players don't make as much mistakes, because... Mm. You know, they've got extraordinary fitness levels at times and that that's where the, often the difference can be found between, you know, because they can pull a lower league team around when they're playing a cup game. That lower league team then starts making mistakes in the passes because they're tired towards the end mm. of the game. And that's when they can pick you mm. off. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a tough one. I, I think another issue I have with it is that a couple of weeks ago, Beach was saying, well, all our stats are showing we're still running as much, we're still doing all this. So you almost say, can you have it both ways? Can you say that we're mm. struggling a bit, but mm. at the same time say that our levels are the same? I know he said, oh, it looks like our fitness levels are getting up to the similar levels now, but that wasn't mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Mm. I don't know. I, we don't see the figure, so it's a tough one for us to judge. But for me, you've, we've got to be careful to overuse that as an excuse if we didn't use it at mm. the start. That, that's yeah. the way I look at it. Definitely. Let, let's get on to some of the, talk about some of the sort of individual performances now then, Mike. Um, I want to start off with Rod McDonald because he's coming for a bit of a stick. 
to just mm. come back into the team. So obviously Reese Bennett was dropped for the Morgan game. A little bit of a surprise, although his form has petered off quite a bit since the return to action. He's been at fault for a couple of goals. He's struggling to get back into rhythm. But I want to come to his defence a little bit here because he took a bit of time to find his rhythm at the start of the season, didn't he? Mm. He, he? He didn't... At the start, people were like, oh, he looks a bit shaky. But actually, he started to form that partnership with McDonald and Sorry, with uh, Hayden. And they, they looked pretty good. And then he picked up that injury, didn't he? And he, he got dropped for the game at Crawley. And then Bennett pretty much kept his team, place in the team ever since at that point. Mm. Do you think people have been a bit too harsh on him, maybe? I mean, to be fair, I want to give him some credit. He set up the goal for Zanzala, the equaliser, yeah. and, he, and he picked him out. It wasn't just a case of, I'm just going to smash it slow. Mm. If you look back at it, to me, that looks like he's picked out Zanzala, picked out a player in space. Mm. Um, he, he might even get a run in the team now, possibly. You, you never know. Do, do you think maybe people should have been a bit too harsh on him? I think so. I mean, I, I don't think he was any. I'm not. I'm not saying he was playing well by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't think he was any worse than maybe five or six other players, perhaps. Um, you know, and pe- people are sort of moan, "Oh, why doesn't he just play a five-yard pass? Why does he lump it forward?" But at the end of the day, that that's that's tactics instructions. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I think yeah, people sometimes just want someone to blame, um, really, to sort of focus the frustrations up because I, I don't know it's easier to maybe accept that McDonald who was on the fringes of this good team isn't good enough it's easier to to deal, comprehend that than it is that the players who were playing well are not good enough do you know what I mean it's I don't know well, what I'd say about McDonald's he doesn't he doesn't shy away from the ball he, he never he doesn't he's not one of those players who sort of doesn't want the ball if anything, he probably takes a little bit too much time on the ball sometimes. Because I think, mm. actually, he's not a bad passer of the ball. Because no. when, he, when he knocks it long, you can see he's trying to pick someone out. You can mm. see what he's looking for. And sometimes he, he puts a bit too much in it. That's the problem. Or, mm. like I say, he just takes a little bit too long and he gets closed down and defend it, as you found the other night. Now, mm. maybe that'll come with his match sharpness. Maybe once he gets back into a river, he'll start being a bit more simpler with the way he's playing the ball and, and getting rid of it quicker than he has been. But I mean, I, I look at it when Hayden and Bennett lock it long. I don't think they're particularly accurate in their passes. Quite no, often. not at all. I think mm. quite often. I mean, Hayden quite often slices out of play. <laughs> mm. You know, I, it, it, it happens. I, I, I don't think McDonald is as bad a player as make out. And I think if he's going to stay in the team, he'll probably hopefully get a little run in the team and then might get back to some of the level he was at. I think. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, it's one of those ones, isn't it? I'd, we'll see how he, we'll see how he gets on. Um, let's move on to Zanzala then. Oh, mate, Ozzy. Never doubted him, didn't we, Mike? Never doubted him. Always thought he was going to come good. You know what? Fair play to the lad. He came on in that game and we looked desperate and we weren't doing much. And no, he wasn't outstanding, but he put himself about and he he, he ran and he he Mm. won bits and he won corners and he he was trying to be positive. I think he deserves credit for that. And Mm. for the goal, I mean, hopefully that's going to do his confidence wonders and... What I'd say about that is as well, he took a step back into space. He didn't just instantly run to the front post. Yeah. He saw the three defenders gathering at the front post and he said, take a step back here and I'm unmarked. And he did. And, you know, nice little cute finish. And, I mean, I'd, I'd, just, I'd probably start him, to be honest. I mean, we'll get on to that in the, the preview, but I think I'd probably start him at the weekend because I think he'll be buoyant and confident from scoring the goal. Yeah, I mean, I think it's weird, isn't it? I mean, because he came in and we hadn't really seen much of him and... It's easy to sort of cast this opinion that he's not good enough. But imagine that we haven't seen, say, Coyote before, you know, 
after this little break that we had. What would our opinion of him be? Would it be, you know, would we sort of rate him? Because at the end of the day, it's like a lot of players are completely different players since this break. And, you know, Zanzala hasn't been brilliant, but who has? You know, and yeah. a lot of his goals for crew seemingly have been sort of tappings in and around the six-yard box, but we need to be getting the ball into them areas for him to be able to do that. And, you know, it's it's no wonder that he hasn't been scoring if we haven't been getting the ball into the six-yard box. And one of the times when he's on the pitch and we do get the six ball in the six-yard box, he scores. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the thing. We we don't really have, I mean, other than maybe Kedwin Scott, but I suspect he's probably not quite ready to be playing regularly yet. Zanzara's probably the only player who's like that for us, who will get into the six-yard box and, mm. and get his tap-ins and things like that. The rest of our forwards are generally the players who do a lot of their good work outside of the box. Mm. And I think a lot of fans are crowing and saying, oh, we need to get Kedwin and Scott in the team. Get, give him a start, give him a start. I think you've got to be a bit more realistic there. He's not going to come in and be flying. He's coming from a level where he's, you know, mm. he's training maybe a couple of nights a week. The training with athletes, basically, who are playing week in, week out. And I know he's played at a professional level before, but he's ain't dropped out. And it's a big difference to get your fitness levels back up to the same again and to show you're ready. It took Stephen Riggett a couple of months to get ready to play first-team football for us, didn't he, when he came from Penrith? Yeah, exactly. So, and there's, there's no reserve games either to sort of help him along with that at the minute. So Yeah, and yeah, that, that's another way where you look at with McDonald as well. That's probably mm. why he struggled because he hasn't had a chance to play in reserve mm. games and keep his fitness up. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'd be tempted to play him at the weekend, but we'll, we'll talk about that in the, uh, in mm. the preview section. Um, Amari Patrick, just a bit of a drop-off in form for him, isn't it? it it's, it's a bit of a shame because when you go back to that Walsall game where he scored the winner... I mean, he was outstanding mm. in that match. And in the few games before it as well, he was tearing teams apart and he was looking, you know, like a, a really exciting player. A player who you look like he could play at a higher level. Last few games, I'm not, I'm not saying he's suddenly become an awful player, but he just looks like he's lacking a, a little bit of confidence. He's not being positive with the ball when he gets it. He's not running at players as much. He's mm. looking for a backward pass quite often or coming inside. The, one, the few times he does, though, he's terrifying defenders. I think in the last couple of games, he's done two outrageous pieces of skill oh, and yeah. left defenders for dead. He sent one of the Grimsby players for a hot dog, didn't he, near he did. the end of the first half? Yeah, he did. And it, it's it's one of those ones, you just want to see him do it a little bit more often and mm. just be positive. But then maybe, are we not getting him into the right areas? Are we not getting players around him to support him and mm. mean that he's able to you know overlap or play one-twos? Maybe that's where the problem is and... I do wonder if maybe a, a little rest out of the team and maybe start using him again as a an impact sub towards the end of the games might be the best option at the moment. Yeah, potentially. I mean, that's sort of how he won his place in the starting eleven, wasn't it? By being an impact sub and mm. doing really well and then getting these games. But none of the other forward players, I'd, I'd say, are sort of really stamping the foot down for a place in the team, are they? You know, it's, it's as good as anyone's guess as to who the front three is going to be. It's weird, that, isn't it? Because you think you go back a short while and they picked themselves, didn't they, really? Yeah. yeah. Coyote on the right, Patrick on the left and Alessandro down the middle and we're just not able to find a, a, a mix that works quite the moment. I mean, I think mm. Toure did all right in the couple of games he came in, but he's back out of the team now again mm. and I hear a lot of people say, oh, he doesn't do enough. I, I think he does. I think that my problem with Toure is you just too much tracking back because mm. people might have a sort of stereotypical look as a, a winger of his you know, the kind of player he is. 
very flair play. Oh, he's not going to get back in, in through the hard yards, but he mm. does. He gets back in defence and he, he mm. tries to win the ball back. And sometimes you think, stay up the pitch, be ready mm. to receive the ball. That's what but, you'd like to see. But like I say as well, you know, because the fullbacks aren't quite able to overlap, that sometimes you know occupies a defender's mind when the when the fullback, you know, the opposing fullback has done an overlap, and then. Torre would be able to sort of cut inside because you know they'd think that he's going to play that pass to the fullback, and it just nothing has been, has been clicking for for anyone really, has it? Yeah. Well, well, let's sort of end this bit on a couple of positives from the the two games and a couple of young lads, I think actually. Um, Jack Armour particularly got to, got to focus on him. Came back into the team against Grimsby, and I thought he had a really good game. And once again, he showed his ability on the ball and his ability to. Even when he played right back, cut inside and pick out a pass, he's there to see, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was even thinking before. I know that it was a makeshift back four that we had when Armour was right back and uh, we had Bennett and Hayden at, at centre back and Anderson left back. But we got results. Like, why not? Why not give that a go? You know, and because them passes from Armour at right back are just. Absolutely a class above, you know, and um, the sitter that Dickinson missed that stemmed from you know one of his balls into the box. Um, mm. but how Dickinson missed that sitter, I mean, <laughs> I, I do I feel for him a little bit because you know what, he did brilliantly to win the header to get in there and actually do something that none of the other forwards had bothered doing for most of the match to actually get into the box and actually win a header. And it does come at him a little bit quick, and he I think he just panics a little bit, didn't he? And he thought. I've just got to hit this quickly as hard as I can. And mm. actually, when you watch it back, he probably mm. had time to take a touch and place it. It, it, it. It's it's so frustrating, but it's one of those ones, I think, nine times out of ten, he buries that in the back of the net and it's a goal. Mm. And just mm. that one occasion where he just snatches it at it and fires it high and wide and uh, not very handsome, as good old Derek Lacey used to say. Um, mm. Let's pick out another young lad then. I, I got mentioned Taylor Charters. He came in for his... Second star in this game. I, I thought he looked okay and fairly tidy when he was on the ball, but one good crossing in the first half. Mm. He maybe just wasn't as involved as you'd hope. That was the only issue I'd pick out. Maybe he was a little bit quiet at times, but when he was involved, he looked lively. He had one burst into the box in the second half as well, where he, he looked like he might create something. And Yeah, it, well, how do you think he did? Well, I think I think he did all right, but I think his problem is is just maybe a little bit too eager sometimes. I think he, he he looks for the sort of the assist rather than just a pass. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes his his movement is he's he's looking to maybe sort of you know run into the box and cause them problems rather than maybe just sort of be an option for a more simple pass. Yeah, it's one of the ones, isn't it? I think. Mean... He's better on the ball than Mellish, definitely. He's probably not yeah. quite as physical. He's not going to, you know, bully players as much as Mellish does. He's probably not going to get in, into goal-scoring positions in the same way that Mellish does. But he offers a little bit more on the ball. And I think maybe at the moment that's what we need. And my inclination would be, don't drop him for the Bradford game because I'm not sure what good it's going to do a young lad like that to put him in the team for one game and then drop him again. Mm. But I suppose... The way Beach is going to look at it is, I need to get results really, and that's the be and end all for, for him at the end of the day right now. So there mm. you go. I think that pretty much covers the review stuff, Mike. We're just going to depress ourselves if we keep talking about. In fact, no, actually, before we finish, let, let's have a quick shout out to the uh, to the Morecambe commentary guys. Oh, Got to give yeah. them a shout out, haven't we? Absolutely yeah. outstanding that was. He? <laughs> I think because Morecambe 
being in Lancashire and there's so many clubs there, Radio Lancashire don't necessarily have a, a sort of full-time commentating for 90 minutes guy, do they? So Morecambe themselves have a couple of volunteers who do the commentary for their uh, iFollow stuff. And it was 90 minutes of hilarity, wasn't it, really? And yeah. they, they were getting Carlisle fans involved. It's basically like MasterChef, wasn't it? Because they were just talking about what people were eating mm. and what people were drinking and how they were getting on and stuff. And my favourite bit, though, was when they gave a shout-out to someone's cat and the yeah. commentator, meows, on there. <laughs> It was yeah, incredible. That, like, that was that did make that sort of depressing game sort of actually more enjoyable. They were proper yeah. little uh, double act, weren't they? Because yeah, well, it, it took it, it took me a while to realise that they they're not like a BBC commentary team. <laughs> uh, and because I was thinking, imagine if you're just listening to this, you're not watching it, you wouldn't have a clue what was going on in the I'll, match. Like, well, you know? you know what? My my better half, Megan, uh, she was. Uh, listening to the game. Well, she's basically, quite often when I put the game on, after about five minutes, she's like, I'm bored of this. And she goes upstairs or goes off and reads a book or something like that, you know, goes and makes some food. Um, on this occasion, she sat for pretty much the whole game and listened because she's mm. like, this is incredible. It's like Charlie <laughs> FM on steroids. <laughs> it was yeah. like, never had anything like it, but there you go. So fair play to the Morgan guys. But made a, a pretty dreadful afternoon for Carla fans, a little bit more entertaining at the very least, didn't it? There is there is one thing that we didn't mention as well, Go and on. that is the corner that Grimsby scored, and I did not see a lot wrong with that. It wasn't on the highlights, um, um, but I think we got out of jail there. I, I think it was a foul, to be honest. I think the player comes across with his arm across Farman. It's one of those ones it's difficult for the attacker to avoid because he's going for the header, but for me... Any referee is going to give that as a foul, in my opinion, just mm. just the way it is. And and let's give a quick shout out to that short free kick that they took uh, from the where the keeper picked up the ball against Morecambe. Oh, just like I can't even begin to describe how that that just sums yeah. up our basically our second half of the season. It was just yeah, absolutely god awful. And and yeah. also, please can we stop taking those free kicks? When we got a direct free kick outside the box and we're laying it off, stop it! Just just hit the thing. Just have mm. a go at goal, because I don't think I've seen one of those come off, bar the one Anderton no. scored against Stephen, did you think it was? Where the yeah. keeper just messed it up and spawned into the back of the net. That's not going to happen every game. Once a season, you'll get that. Just have yeah. a go at goal. So there you go. Anyway, yeah. that that's the preview stuff. Let, let, before we get any more angry again, let's uh, <laughs> let's leave that bit. Um, Mike, we'll uh, go for a short break, and uh, then we'll be back to... Look ahead to the games against Bradford and Mansfield Town. So we'll be back in just a minute. Hi, this is George Tanner. You are listening to the Brunton Bugle. Cheers, George, there for his uh, little bit in the break. Uh, so let's get straight into the uh, preview stuff, Mike. And uh, as usual, as we've been doing regularly for the last uh, few episodes, we've managed to get an opposition pod on to discuss their club and how they're getting on this season. This time, uh, we've spoken to the guys from the Mansfield Matters podcast. Uh, it was Craig took out some time to speak to me uh, about how things have been getting on at Field Mill this season. And uh, this is the chat now. Craig, how's it going? Yeah, very good. Thank you, Lee. How's, uh, how's everything up in Carlisle? Uh, well, I, I actually live down in Liverpool, so it's a bit different for me. But uh, in terms of how things are going at Carlisle, oof, not, not particularly great <laughs> at this point in the season. It's, uh, it's all uh, unravelling very, very quickly. Um, but let's get on to Mansfield Town. Let's talk about them. Um, your season's been one that's a bit... Uh, up, up, mostly downs, but a little bit, a few ups in there as well. I, I mean, how are you feeling about how your season's gone? 
I think I'll use the same term. I'll say unravelling quite quickly. It's been uh, quite a, uh, a strange season, to be honest. I think nobody could have predicted the start that Mansfield had uh, with the 11 games without a win under Graham Coughlin. Um, we've been guilty in previous seasons and previous managers of giving them a little bit too much time and, and seeing things collapse. So the owners and the, the new sort of CEO and director of football, as he was at the time, David Sharp, moved quite quickly to uh, to sort that out. Bringing in Nigel Clough, who was in a free agent, hit a great run of form. It really started to sort of pick up a little bit and for, for, for quite a while it looked... You know that we might put on a, a bit of a charge, but then we were hit with uh, an enforced sort of uh, winter break, if you like, not being able to play because of frozen pitches and what have you. A bit of a disastrous January transfer window, um, which I think a support, uh, certainly us from the Mansfield Matters podcast, we sort of we understand why the transfer window was like it was. But a lot of supporters, when you're on such a good run, can sort of you know just just sort of sit on the coattails of being on on, on such a high, so aren't quite as happy with it and I think prior to you know last Tuesday night when we beat league leaders at Cheltenham 3-1 we were in really really poor form and I think for a lot of us now it's just sort of taking it one game at a time and seeing how it unravels a lot of us have got our eye on the summer to be fair it's been a crazy journey. Yeah we'll touch on Clough in a minute but I've got to ask you about Coughlin because when we did a preview episode in the summer I did say it was one of the oddest appointments I've seen in recent years at uh, League Two clubs because I mean, he'd not exactly set the world on fire at Bristol Rovers. He didn't seem to have any particular connection to Mansfield Town. And you went and sort of effectively poached him from them, didn't you? And it just did not work at all. I mean, his record was it four wins in 27 games? Something like that. Yeah. He's pretty yeah. appalling. It was. Uh, to be honest, when we appointed him, we all sat on our podcast with, you know, we, we backed him, obviously, but we all sort of questioned it a little bit. We'd gone from having a manager in David Flickcroft who'd got us to. Uh, the playoffs we missed out on automatic promotion on the on the final day of the season we all thought he'd get a little bit more time we replaced him with the unknown academy manager John Dempster who'd done great things behind the scenes at the club and was a great player for us but had no senior management experience and it, it wasn't quite working for him so we understood we under sort of understood the reasoning behind his departure but when Graham Cochran was appointed we all sort of looked at each other and questioned it because similar to John Dempster he was a rookie manager um, we understood that a lot of the reasoning for Cochrane coming was that he wanted to move close to home he was based in Sheffield and commuting to Bristol a lot but again it just didn't quite work there was a massive hangover at the club and a big overturn of players in the summer and for whatever reason it just didn't start well and I think it was an accident waiting to happen, really. And I think, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And I'm sure the owners would uh, sort of put their hands up a little bit and say if they could go back in time, they perhaps would have taken the time over that appointment. Because, again, it was a very rushed one and, and not one which, uh, in hindsight, was, was as methodical as it, it should have been. We had a real opportunity then to maybe put a caretaker in charge for a few games, have a little look at what else was out there. And, uh, yeah, it was a very, very strange, uh, very strange situation. Must be happy with the appointment of Clough, though. Someone of that experience. We, we we said when he got the job because he got it. I think not long before we played you actually, that he really stood out as a, a bit of a statement, as if you were saying, "Obviously, this season's going to be a difficult one to get anything out of." But in terms of the future, it felt like, "Wow, that's that's a really good appointment for Mansfield Town." How is he doing so far? He's doing quite well. I think a lot of people are sort of questioning the run that we're on at the minute because of um, how well we started. However. The January transfer window, as I as, as I alluded to, 
We lost two of our arguably biggest earners in Andy Cook and Nicky Maynard to, to League Two rivals. Didn't really replace them with the targets that Clough wanted and that sort of raised a lot of eyebrows. But in terms of what the job he came, he came in to do, like I've said before, a lot of people can get swept up in, in results and sort of thinking about how quickly you can progress. Day one when Clough came in, he said, you know, this season's about stability and building again in the summer. He said it might take two or three transfer windows to sort out. And we fully believe that and we, we fully back that. In terms of his appointment, it's, it's the best appointment we could have had. I think it was the first time ever as a Mansfield fan where we could actually sit and go at the moment, at, at the particular time, there were maybe six or seven top quality candidates out there who were all free agents uh, for whatever reason. And we took our time on, on the appointment. We sort of thought it through a little bit. But when you look at what Clough did at Burton, spent many years building them up with absolutely no budget whatsoever, with his hands tied behind his back at times, got them into the Football League, a tremendous clear out at Derby and, and stabilised them at a time where they needed stabilising. Again at Sheffield United doing the same thing and sort of maybe even laying the, the, the start of the foundations for the journey they're on now. Then again at Burton, you know, taking them up to the championship and putting them in, in good stead. And if you look at the reason he left Burton because of the pandemic, trying to save the club, save the club money, that says everything you want in a manager in terms of loyalty and caring about others. And I think when you look at what he says, you know, he, he doesn't want to spend money willy-nilly. He wants to spend it like it's his own and think methodically about things. That's exactly what Mansfield need. And we need a little bit of calm, a little bit of patience. And that's exactly what he brings to the club. And I think next season will certainly be competing up there. And if if not next season, then certainly the season after, we'll, we'll certainly see Mansfield Town sort of vying for League One. Yeah. What's your expectations as a Mansfield fan? You're, I mean, Mansfield always strike me as a club. They're a proper football league club, aren't they? You get the... You get these little non-league uh, upstarts coming into the league over the last few years, don't you? But Mansfield Town, a bit like Carlisle, a bit like you, I suppose in the past you'd say, teams like Doncaster, they just feel like a football league. What, what are your hopes and ambitions for the future for the club? League One stability at some point has got to be there. You look at our training facility, the RH Academy, which we've plunged money into over the last five, six years or so, and it's one of the best facilities in League Two, perhaps even League One pushing championship standard. We've got the infrastructure, which is there. Um, you know, we have been milling about League Two for a, a long, long time. We've been on a, a good journey. We were absolutely nowhere in the conference. Um, we were probably days away from, from going extinct before John Radford purchased the club. And we've been on an upward journey ever since. We, we sort of came close under Steve Evans, uh, came close under David Flickcroft. And for whatever reason, it's taken a bit of a step back. I certainly think in five years' time, we'll be a stable League One club. Um, I think what a lot of Mansfield fans don't do, I think it, I think it's because of our recent history in terms of being up there, is they don't see the bigger picture sometimes. And I think you do have to take a step back. You do have to little, have a little think about where you've come from and where you want to be. We were in a right mess at the start of this season in terms of our results and the way we were playing. It had to be about stability. We had players who were on ridiculous wages, considering that we're in the midst of a pandemic still, um, had no income coming from fans and that sort of thing. So we've had to tighten our belts and, and, and think like that. So I think in terms of the immediate expectations, it's just get that safety, keep that uh, the, the buffer between ourselves and the bottom two and survive and then go again in the summer and 
all enjoy the, the journey in the sofa. Nobody wants to get promotion and watch from the sofa, do they? They all want to be in the stand no. celebrating. So <laughs> exactly. let, let's let's go for next season. Let's write this one off and let's go for next season. Just survive and build from there because we've we've done excellent work over the last 10 seasons to get where we are. We've taken a couple of hits, a couple of knocks, but as I always say, if you get down, if you get knocked down seven times, you stand up eight times. Yeah, exactly that. To be honest, I think that's the attitude we're taking of writing off a season as the way things are going right now. Um Got to ask you about Andy Cook. Obviously, you mentioned there he's gone out on loan to um, Bradford City. Now, he started out in our youth academy, actually came up through them. How, how, how did he get on with you guys? I love Andy Cook. I think he's a, a real asset. I'm actually disappointed that we, we let him go, but I understand why. Uh, huge wages uh, for for where we are. Uh, like I say, all those uh, you know circumstances, uh, it's, it's a huge wage, uh, apparently. So I can understand that. <laughs> we call him half a season Andy Cook because he's been with us two seasons, and yet uh, <laughs> halfway through last season, he was shipped out to the league above to Tranmere um, with a view to a permanent move. For whatever reason, that didn't transpire. So he came back in the summer, hit the ground running, and was a real asset for us. Nigel Clough came in. He didn't start as many games because Jordan Bowery was absolutely on fire and, and, and doing really, really well. He asked to go out and play some senior football. And, you know, he's doing that, getting the starts for Bradford, scoring the goals, which is uh, disappointing to see sometimes, especially in recent <laughs> weeks when we've been desperately short of a striker. But the long-term thing, I understand it. I mean, if I could go back, I think even if Nigel Clough could go back, I think he would probably keep him around. But unhappy players don't make for a happy dressing room. And I think you have to take that into consideration as well. I'd love to see Cook get another shot at at being a Mansfield player uh, next season, if only to see where we ship him off to next January, but it won't happen. (laughs) He might might even finally return to Carlisle. You never know, but he's he's, he's an unusual one. He never actually made a first team appearance uh, for us, unfortunately, um, for various reasons. He came through around about the same time as Gary Medine, actually. We had a real run of strikers coming through, score Gosling. Ryan Bowman actually came through the season after as well. But again, he barely played for our first team. So a strange one, that. Who are the danger men we need to watch out for then? Well, I think Mansfield, we're a very in-between team. Jordan Bowery's in in good form uh, on his day when he gets the service. Um, he's just moved into double figures for this season. I'd say Stephen Quinn at the moment. He's been he's been good since he's came in on loan from Burton in, in January, but we've actually got an emerging uh, youngster called Jason Law. I say youngster, he's 21. He's been at the club six years under six different managers, and only oh. now is he getting his, his first look in. He started the last three or four games or so in, in a number of different positions, and he's absolutely on fire at the moment. He played uh, just behind the front two uh, against Cheltenham the other night, uh, the other week. Uh, had an absolutely storming game, got two assists. The only thing he's missing from his, his game at the moment is a goal. Um, I think that will come in time. He's a real good starlet for, for us. Uh, so I'd say Jason Law, uh, definitely. Stephen Quinn. And then when he turns up, when he's when he's on his game, Kel Gordon at right back is a real force down that right hand side, and we've got George Lapsley to come back in as well, and, and he was in really good form before he got a, a bit of an injury uh, four or five weeks ago. I was impressed with Lapsley when we you played up at our place actually because I actually went to that game because it's one of the games where fans were allowed. So yeah, can we uh... not talk about that? I mean, <laughs> watching from the sofa as fans are in the stand cheering, that was yeah very hard to. Uh, to do we've had two games like that we had the the game with you guys and then we had uh, uh, Cambridge uh, a couple of months before very strange month that in football we've been incredibly lucky Carl on that we've had I think five games a season we've been able to actually go to that's so unthinkable it, it, that's, it's it really is it's absolutely maddening it, it, it just you, you really do miss it don't you um yeah. in terms of predictions how do you think it's going to go 
Well, it's a tough one to call because, you know, maybe five or six weeks ago, I'd have said it'd be a really tough uh, game because Carlisle were flying, we were flying. You guys seem to have absolutely dropped off at the moment. I don't know what's, yeah. what's happening with you guys at the minute. I mean, you were sort of odds on, on to go up. I thought you'd, uh, you, you'd do well. Can I, can I just ask, is David Holdsworth still involved? Is he still director of football? Has he, has he left yet? He still is director of football. Right, well, that's yeah. that's why you're faltering then, isn't he? The worst <laughs> manager we've ever had. Probably got a revolving door well, fitted. He signed like 150-odd players during his time with us. Hang on a second. You say he's the, the worst manager you've ever had. Have yeah. you not read his uh, Wikipedia profile? Oh, he's the, he's the best. He's the best manager that's ever <laughs> existed on the planet in, in, in his own. You head. as well. It's incredible. Yeah, makes you very suspicious as to who's editing it. Let's just leave yeah. it that. I, I've got a strong suspicion that it's uh, him, a, sort of member of himself that has edited that. But I couldn't possibly <laughs> comment on that. <laughs> no, it'd be a tough game to be fair. I think you know you, you guys will find your feet eventually again. Um, if we cut out the early mistakes which we've made we will be tough to break down and if if, if we play with a little bit of flair up front we'll, we'll grab a couple of goals but it just depends which Mansfield Town side turn up because it could be the Mansfield Town side that turned up against Cheltenham and put in a really good performance or it could be the Stag side that turned up against Barrow and basically didn't get off the bus so <laughs> who knows let's flip a coin and decide it that way I think that might be the best way to end this season Thanks for speaking to us mate really appreciate that um, and Good luck for the rest of the season, but not particularly next Tuesday because we badly need to get a win as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, as long as we're... I'll tell you what, let's take a draw and then we'll go from there. Well, if we beat Bradford at the weekend, I'll take that. Yeah, absolutely. I think <laughs> I'll take that as well if we draw at the weekend yeah. as well. Thanks very much for having me, Liam. Much appreciated. No problem. So there you have it. There was the uh, chat there with Craig from Mansfield Matters Podcast. Thanks again to him for giving up his time. Uh, Mike, you had a little listen as well, didn't you? He was... Uh, um, interesting chat, wasn't it? It's particularly the crack about Holsworth. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, I remember when uh, when he when he joined us, the sort of article on the official club website. You know, I mean, people sort of keeping the loop with the likes of Gretner and all the rest of it, and people were asking questions, shall we say, of his uh, of his CV a little bit. But uh, no, it's. Uh, I mean, Holdsworth was very eager, wasn't he, to sort of be, uh, oh yeah, I've helped bring these players in, that all this and that and the other, and he seemed to have gone quiet a little bit the, uh, the past yeah, few remar- weeks. Remarkable, that, isn't it? How, <laughs> how quiet people go, who can blow their own trumpet when things are going well, can't they? But there you go. Um, well, let's look ahead to the games then. Before we go on to the Mansfield one, let's look at sort of the Bradford one, Mike. Um, I think if you'd gone back to when we beat them back in December, 1-0 with that Reese Bennett goal, and you come ahead to Niles to this game, I don't think you would have expected Bradford to have been ahead of us in the table, would you? No, you really wouldn't. I mean, they've sort of they've turned it round quite well, to be honest, because they really were uh, down in the doldrums. I mean, obviously they have played, I think, two more games than us. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. but they were they were, uh, they were in relegation trouble when we beat yeah, them. They, they were, were really yeah. right down the bottom. I mean, Stuart McCall was still in charge then, wasn't he? I think. Yeah, I see him and. I can't remember if he got sacked after that game or not long after, but I mean the writing was on the wall at that point, wasn't it? Because mm. I mean they they were absolutely dire that afternoon. I mean mm. we only won one nil, but I think Amari Patrick could have had four or five goals himself on another day if yeah. luck had gone his way. So it, it, it's one of those ones, isn't it? It's yeah, I mean it, it, it's going to be a tough match this one, isn't it? When you look at it and the form they're in, I mean they did lose the other night against Newport County. 2-1, thanks to a 96-minute mm. penalty. But bar that, when you look at their form, I mean, they, they came back to draw against Bolton, who really are the form team in the division right now. 
And prior to that, they were on a winning streak, weren't they? So mm. it, 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 it's not going to be an easy game, is it? No, I mean, I'm not optimistic, to be honest. I think, uh, like I say, that Groomsby game, if we can't beat a team like that, there isn't a lot of hope for us against a team like Bradford, who are doing very well right now. Got to talk about their two managers. I mean, they were putting caretaker charge, the two youth team managers, uh, Mark Truman and Connor Sellers. Um, the turnaround and fortunes from them has been remarkable for, for their first senior role. And when you look at their CVs as players, they've not played at any sort of level, really. They've, I mean, I think Truman's mostly been around the non-league circuit. I think Sellers had a brief spell playing in the Football League, but has mostly played, I think, sort of in Iceland and Finland, I think, and places like that. And then, again, done the non-league circuit around Yorkshire way. To do the job they've done, and originally they were caretakers, then they were told, you know, until we decide who the permanent is going to be. And now they've been given a contract until the end of next season. It's quite a fairytale story, isn't it? To the youngest managers in the league as well. Yeah, you know, it really is. And, you know, I honestly think that they could well be within a shout of the playoffs, which a few weeks ago was completely ludicrous, you know. I think that they look at the game against us and if we beat them, that might put a bit of a dent in it for them because mm. we would then go ahead, I think, go ahead of them on um, on goal difference, wouldn't we, if we beat them at the weekend. Mm. Um, so that's probably one to look at. I think if we get three points here, then we're, we're really in contention because we basically probably puts a, a very strong dent in our chances of getting up there. Um, it's one of those ones, isn't it? They've done, done a remarkable job as caretakers, but it's all gone swimmingly for them so far. And you do wonder, if things start to go wrong, with an experienced pair like that as managers, will players then start, start to turn and start to say, you've never played the game and that kind of thing? Because I think Lummy's hinted at this kind of thing before, hasn't he, when he's mm. discussed it. Do you do wonder, it's a bit of a risk, maybe giving them a deal to the end of the season might have been a better option for them. But it shows faith, I suppose. That's one way of looking at it, I guess. And mm. I do wonder, you've seen it with Beach. When you get into a bad run, it can be difficult to get out of it, can't it? Yeah, I mean, it's weird, the whole joint manager thing, to be honest. I mean, uh, you don't really see it much at the highest level. You know, um, I, I mean, you know, I mean, them two fellas at Lincoln did quite well. And, uh, I think in the end, Danny was the senior though, wasn't he? I think in non-league level, they were joint managers. But then once, once they went to senior level, I think Danny became the senior one. And I think as well at Grimsby, wasn't it? Paul Hurst yeah. and his assistant when they were in non-league, they were joint managers as well, possibly. Yeah, I think when Salford worked the way through up through non-league, they had a joint manager thing as well, didn't they? But I yeah. think it's what I think, like you say, I think when it's going well, it's good. But then when it doesn't go well, you know, they probably have arguments with each other, don't they, about what, what to do to sort of change it and all the rest of it, and and these things sort of uh, fall apart. But no, I mean they're doing very well right now. But it's interesting you say about. Um, you know, the level that they played and sort of the authority that you have over players when you haven't sort yeah. of played at that high level. Because generally speaking in football, a lot of the best managers weren't the best players. No, it's true. It's very true, you know. to be fair. Yeah. Um, I mean, they've made some good signings in January, haven't they, when you look at their squad. In particular, I mean, you look at their attacking options. Mm. They're a little bit spoiled for choice, aren't they? I mean, I'm just looking down through the list now. I mean, you've got Ollie Crankshaw from Wigan. Now, I heard some murmurs that we were actually after Crankshaw mm. uh, back in at the start of the season, but Wigan were actually picking him for a while. Um, and then obviously 
didn't happen in January. Um, Billy Clark, I mean, I'm not sure how close he is to sort of playing as much at the moment. Um, Lee Novak, I think we, we quite happily have Lee Novak from based on his past experience. Yeah. I mean, Clayton Donaldson's 37 now, but he, you know, he, he knows this level like not many players would. Andy Cook, obviously, ex United uh, youth product, who's mentioned in the chat there, the Mansfield fan. Um, Novak Danny, and Cook are both big lads as well. Aren't they? Yeah, and Danny Rowe, he's a big lad as well. I mean, they've got a lo- mm. lad on loan from uh, Middlesbrough, uh, Ruman Burrell as well. I'm guessing he must be a decent prospect. He's coming through mm. Mid- Middlesbrough's academy. Mm. Plenty of choices up there, isn't there? I mean, Charles Vernon as well. I mean, he's down as a midfielder, but he's more of a winger, I think. Yes, so, you know, they've got these sort of big forward lads, and uh, it seems as well like Elliot Watt has sort of been quite vital to them in this sort of recent turnaround of form. And, you know, you've got a good set-piece taker like that and big lads in the penalty area. I'm not looking forward to this one, personally. I think as well they made a good uh, defensive recruitment in January and now Canavan from uh, Plymouth Argyle. He also got promoted from this division quite recently as well. Mm. And by all accounts, he's made a big difference to their back four. Because I think, remember that game when we played down there? I think Ben Richard Everton played in that game, didn't he? He was an mm. ex-United youth product. Um, and he was atrocious that day. He, he looked like his head was anywhere else but played for Bradford City, didn't mm. he? And by all accounts, he just wasn't settled, and he ended up leaving. I think not long after that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at look at the players they've got available. I think Billy Clark did actually start the last game, but they've got Charles Vernon coming off the bench, and he was brilliant at Grimsby last season. And Crankshaw's starting games. Andy Cook started that last game. Um, they're leaving Callum Cook on the bench, and I picked him out as a one of their key men, danger men, and they left him on the bench for the last game. Mm. It, it 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 worries me. I I, I just I, I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping their confidence has been dented a little bit by that late winner for Newport in the game in midweek, which was played at Cardiff City Stadium, by the way. Because um, obviously Newport have been given permission to play their games for the next couple of games there, haven't they? I think. So. Yeah, which I think is silly, but you know. There you go. What can you do? <laughs> um, so that should be a, a tough test. Uh, before we move on actually interesting to note that the referee for this game uh, Ollie Yates he last took charge of United for the trip to Hazen Yedding in the FA Cup earlier this season and one of the assistants is Joe Simpson and if you think that name's familiar that's because it's Paul Simpson's son so there mm-hmm. you go um, the Mansfield game um, interesting when we did the sort of half season review we all picked out Mansfield as a team to watch out for and a team that could challenge for the playoffs mm. Not quite gone that way, has it, in the end, really? I think they've had a, a sort of real... Having got up to about mid-table, they sort of proper drop back down again, haven't they? And they, yeah. they find themselves now probably not in danger of relegation, but potentially if they don't start picking up a couple of wins here and there, could be dragged back into it, couldn't they? Yeah, but I think, you know, like the uh, lad you interviewed was saying, it's. I think they're more sort of looking forward to next season and it's about sort of building on what they have this season. But, yeah, they start they start so well under Clough and then they've um, stagnated. Um, no. Ah, oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, but it, it, it seems bizarre, the whole sort of Andy Cook to Bradford thing. I don't know what exactly... Uh, you know, the reasons were behind that. But, um, the suggestion seems to be that he's just too big a wage, isn't it? And they just needed mm. to get him off the books. And 
Bradford seem to be throwing a little bit of money at it, which they seem to do a lot. Mm. <laughs> it's an interesting. But Ma- one, Mansfield have as well, sort of over over recent years, haven't they? They've sort of always had one of the bigger budgets. Mm. In I wonder if this they're re- they're reining it back in for while fans yeah. aren't allowed in, ready to have another go at it in the summer. Yeah, I, I do wonder if clubs have been told keep us up this year. And then, you know, we're going to have to strip the squad back a bit in January just to keep things tight. Mm. And then once we're allowed to get fans back in next season, we can put a bit of money in. Mm. Then you'll have a bit of backing and you can start bringing... I mean, you brought Stephen Quinn in from Burton. And, mm. and you know, he's a player who's played in the Premier League for Hull, hasn't he? You know, he's mm. played for the Republic of Ireland. God knows how many times. And it, that, 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 to me, stands out as a decent sign. And kind of play with a bit of an experienced head who can help him through this tough patch, can't he? Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, we said there. Expect a big rebuild for them this season. Um, in the summer, sorry, and don't expect them. Well, don't be surprised if, if they're up near the top next summer. I think. And Danger Men have picked. I mean, Mark Stetch always been a good goalkeeper at this level, hasn't he? I think. Yeah, he's on one who does well for them. George Lapsley, I was impressed with him actually for the game. Uh, up at Brunton Park I think he nearly scored a spectacular volley didn't he he just took a touch and mm. almost smashed it over Paul Fallon's head uh, I mentioned Stephen Quinn then I think Jordan Bowery as well he's one of those players isn't he? he he's always looked like he's got ability to play at a higher level but never quite done enough has he to mm. to kick on and, and get that big move um, they've also got the other Joe Riley who they have when, indeed, yeah. when we signed our Joe Riley I thought oh yeah he's sort of like a decent league two defender Um <laughs> You know, <laughs> that wasn't it was the wrong one. I mean, you look. What I'd say, if you look defensively, they didn't look the strongest when we played against them, and I don't think they are particularly strong. When I look at the squad now, there's not that many defenders in there. So potentially, mm. if we can get at them early, maybe we can do something this game. But I mean, got to give them credit; they beat the league leaders three-one in midweek mm. this week. So exactly. that that suggests to me, you know, if they if they can pick the form up again. That's going to be a tough game for us, especially away from home as well. But at the same time, you know, while they did beat Cheltenham, you know, they lost two 0 against Barrow like the other day, <laughs> yeah. and it's. I, I think stones, they're very much hit and miss right now, and hopefully we'll catch them on one of their their miss games. It's worth noting as well that they they, they oh, they won three one the other night, but actually, if you look in the five games before that, they only managed to score one goal, and that was in the one 0 win over Morecambe. Mm. All the other games they've played in, they've they've lost to nil recently. Mm. So it does show you that goals maybe are coming a bit difficult to come by. Maybe Cheltenham just had a bit of a meltdown in that game. I don't know. Because obviously mm. I haven't seen the highlights. There you go. Uh, let's move on to a bit of team news then, Mike. Um, the three ones we've mentioned previously, Danny Devine with his knee, Morgan Feeney with his foot, and Jamie Armstrong with his ankle, all still look like they're going to miss out. Josh Coyote, not 100% sure, are we, on that one? Um, missed the game against Grimsby. Beach seemed to think it's not going to be a long-term thing, but he didn't sound that confident to me about him playing mm. in this match, so maybe he'll miss out. Um, George Tanner, though, sounds like he's just maybe resting for that game. Maybe he'll come back in, maybe just on the bench, possibly. Have to wait and see with that one. Um, other than that, it doesn't sound like anyone else is going to miss out, does it? It sounds no, like Hayden might come back as well, because he was well, limped off against Grimsby, but maybe he'll be ready for this one. Yeah, it's hard to tell. I think Beach is understandably keeping his cards relatively close to his chest with uh, these sorts of things. And I think there is a few players who may well be playing and they've got little niggles as well. It's just, 
such a tough run of, of fixtures right now. Yeah. Well, he made five changes, didn't he, for the uh, the game yeah. against uh, Grimsby? Um, I think he did he make three against um, Morecambe as well. So he's making a lot of changes. I suddenly become a little bit of a tinker man, and he has admitted maybe to keep the squad fresh, he's going to have to do this mm. before the end of the season. If you were going to sort of pick a team for this game against Bradford, are you going to make any changes or anything? What would you do? Would you make any tweaks? Would you change formation? What would you try? Um, I mean. The formation wasn't an issue at the start of the you know season, and it, it, teams are sort of finding us out now. And I, I wouldn't begrudge us going three at the back, you know, and sort of like you said before, maybe Riley would make a good wing back. Just maybe something different. Just show sh- you know sh- show that you've got something else up your sleeve, you know, and and by all means change tactics in a, in a game. Maybe even you know. Um, we mentioned before um, playing Furman and Guy in the same team. Maybe we play them two sitting and play sort of Riley in like a, a number ten role behind behind the striker. You know, I think he could cause a lot of problems there. Just... He's, a, he's a busy player, isn't he, Riley? And he gets about and he's mm. having to do a lot of busy play as a sort of defensive player. Or something. And I want to do one if you play him in that number ten role because he can pick a pass. He's a clever player. He's mm. an intricate player. But also, if he's harrying two centre backs as well, we could have some positive impact there, couldn't we? Mm. Exactly, yeah, and you know it's just just something different. You know, I'm I'm not asking him to, you know, uh, change everything. Just just change something because yeah. what we have right now just isn't working. I do wonder that idea of the free at the back. I'm I'm quite positive about the idea of that as well. I mean, you, what you could do, you could have Armour playing as your right wing back. You could have your your free centre backs of presuming Hayden's fit, Hayden. Bennett and McDonald could play in there, or if Hayden's not fit, then you could always put Anderton in as one of the centre backs. Mm. And I'd be tempted to try Brennan Dickinson as a left wing back because mm. he's played that most of his career. He's never played as a, in a front three until Beach has brought him in. And I know it's worked with in terms of moving Mellish into a new position, but I've, I've not quite seen it yet with Dickinson. And some of his best bits have actually come when he's picked the ball up in our half and had a run at plays and taken on a couple of players. And he looks like he's got ability to do that. I know Beach mm. wants to get him in around the box because of his ability to hit a ball and you know have mm. a go at goal, and he showed that against Colchester. But I, I do wonder maybe playing him as a wing back and getting him up and down the pitch might be the best way to use him at the moment. Or even even just a simple old four four two, and then just a, a left midfielder and a four four two, you know, and two up front. You know, just something different for crying out loud, yeah, you know. I, I think or, we... or, you know, he, he, even the current system and personnel that he has been playing, but keep it on the deck a little bit more. You know, it's not it's not rocket science to just tweak it a little bit. No, absolutely not. Okay, then let's get on to the predictions though, Mike. Come on. Right, well, I'm not confident and I'm going to go a 1-0 defeat against Bradford. Ooh. I know, and I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw against Mansfield. Basically, you're saying our season's over. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. 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 Well, you know what? I think there needs to be a bit of yin and yang in there, doesn't there? And I think <laughs> I'm going to give the balance here because I did predict defeat, defeat last weekend and I was right. I don't think I got the score right, but I predicted the defeat correctly. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw against Bradford. Um, you, sorry, you didn't say you, you think it was going to score in the games. What did, so you went... Was it nil one one nil off yeah. to Bradford and yeah. a draw? Did you think? Would you going to go for a score draw? Or? Yeah, uh, 
a one-one draw against uh, Mansfield, and I reckon Zanzala is, is going to score again. Okay, well, there you go. So uh, I'm going to go for a one-one draw against uh, Bradford City. Uh, I think Zanzala will score. I think Zanzala will yeah. score the goal. I think Andy Cook will score the goal for them. It's inevitable. I think he's finally going to get his goal against us. I think he's only played like two, three times against us, hasn't he? Um, mm. And then we're going to go to Mansfield. You know what? We're going to get a two-one win. We're going to scab it properly, properly scab it. I think Dickinson will score a goal, probably a free kick or something. And then the other goal will be why not Zanzara again? Free, free goals and free games. I think he'll, his head will be in the clouds and he'll he'll be uh, scoring goals for fun. And he'll lift us back into the promotion contention by the well, end of the season. You know season. what? The, the, Four points from the next two games would not be a bad result, especially Bradford as well. Getting at least a point against them at least stops them pulling away. And then Mansfield's one of the games, one of the first games in hand we play. That's the other key thing we've got to remember. That's the first time we play a game in hand. Mm. So that's that, that's a real chance for us to actually drag ourselves back into a bit of a mix, doesn't it? I suppose. So uh, mm-hmm. there you go. So there's our predictions uh, for the next couple of games. Hopefully, I'll be right again. <laughs> mm. This time, obviously, we didn't get the 4 0 whenever Grimsby. I did, you know. Get the defeat, right? Didn't I? But there you go. Okay, let's look at the extra hours then, Mike. What former CFC players and coaches have been getting up to across the world? Um, goals. I mean, I keep leaving it to last, but let's just get him out of the way straight away. Charlie White scored two goals again this week. No, no, no surprise there, is there? Yeah. <laughs> No surprise whatsoever. And my mate, my mate who's a Rochdale fan says that he always scores against Rochdale as well. So oh, there you go. Um, one that you don't hear that often. Tom Anderson, he scored for Doncaster Rovers. He was on loan from Burnley, I think, in the is it the fourteen fifteen season? I think Curl's first season in charge. Yeah, I think so. He looked decent actually. I think in those did, eight yeah. games he played, and then mm. went back to Burnley. Um, Cole Stockton scored twice. Obviously, scored against us, and then he scored in. Midweek against uh, Forest Green Rovers, he's hitting a real good run of form. I think he's close to double figures now for the season. Um, here's a surprise brace that we didn't expect to be saying this season. Pat Bruff scored twice for Barrow in their win against Mansfield, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, fair play to him there. Uh, another name that we haven't heard for a long time, Angelo Balanta scored twice for uh, Dagenham and Redbridge. Um, I think he joined them just before Christmas, didn't he? Mm. I seem to remember we mentioned him then. Uh, Jerry Yates back in the scoring run for. Blackwell, he scored, and Mac Beck scored his second goal of the season for Harrogate. So well done to them. Uh, bit of transfer news: Mark Ellis, he's uh, left not- Tranmere Rovers. He's gone on loan to Notts County for till the end of the season. Been, he's not been in their match day squad for a while, though, has he? I don't think Keith Hill particularly rated him, so I think he's just gone out to get some games, I mm-hmm. guess. So. And Notts County up there in the National League. Mike is our National League expert. I, th- they? <laughs> I think they, I think they are in and around the playoffs. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, I think he'll be getting coached by uh, Greg Abbott there, won't he? Because I think he's yeah. assistant, isn't he? Under mm. Neil Adley. So, yeah, be interesting to see how he gets on. Uh, and speaking of coaches, it was rumoured during the week, wasn't it? But it was finally confirmed. Keith Curl has been appointed as the Oldham Athletic boss until the end of the season. <coughs> he's replaced uh, Harry Kewell. Um, he becomes the Latics' eighth manager since John Sheridan ended his third spell as boss in September 2017. No manager has seen out a season at the club since Lee Johnson completed the 2013-14 season. And that's astonishing, isn't that's it? That's ridiculous, isn't I mean, it? Yeah. We heard from the, the Manfield, uh, sorry, Oldham fan the other week, didn't we? And he did say that behind the scenes are just a, an absolute shambles. And it, mm. We know Keith doesn't really take too many prisons, doesn't he? He'll say what he thinks. And 
I do wonder how he's going to get on with that sporting director at Oldham. I wonder if mm. he's based. I know he's only there till the end of the season, but I do wonder if he's basically. If he can get them away from trouble, he might say, right, if I'm staying next season, this is what I want. I want control over things. Because I know he wasn't overly happy about Holdsworth being involved, was he, at Carnal? No, by all accounts, he. Keith is a little bit of a control freak, so I've heard. So, yeah, it'd be interesting how that works out. Yeah, I think we all know that. There you go. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mike, before we uh, do all the, the final bits, let's uh, round up the quiz then for, for this week. So the quiz question was, I want to know the 11 players or former Carlisle coaches who've uh, sort of played or coached Carlisle United but have also been in a World Cup squad. So there's 11 to name. You might struggle with some of the earlier ones, but uh, give it your best shot. See what you can come up with. Well, Peter Beardsley. Yeah, Peter Beardsley is one of them. He played in the 86 and 1990 World Cups for England. Pascal Chimbonda. Pascal Chimbonda indeed was in the France squad in 2006 when the runners-up. Didn't actually feature, but he was in the squad. Uh, Ian Hart. Ian Hart was involved in 2002 for the Republic of Ireland, yeah. Now, I'm going to carry on with my 2002 Republic of Ireland theme, and I'm going to say uh, Graham Kavanagh. He's not right. He was not Ah, in the Ireland squad for that World Cup. I mean, when you look at some of the players they had in that squad, it's actually not that much of a surprise he wasn't involved because they had some Mm. good players back then. Yeah. Uh, was Rory Delap within that? No, squad? he wasn't involved either. No, no there's no. no Republic of Ireland players in that squad. In fact, there's no Republic of Ireland player in there. That's that's a clue for you. Okay. Um, oh, some of these are going to be obvious now, aren't they? Um, I mean, there's one very recent one that you're missing from the 2018 World Cup. Yeah, <laughs> a very uh, very obvious one. Well, you say it's obvious, but <laughs> come on. He was England's number one. Oh, John Pickford, of course, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, you missed that one, so yeah. Yeah, well, because John... I was thinking Dean Henderson, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that'll be, the, that'll be the next one, won't it? So there you go, we hope. Um, okay, so you've got, let me quickly count that up. You've got one, two, three, uh, four so far of the 11. I might start giving right. you some clues. One of them, I think, yeah. only played two games for us. Oh, that's that's naughty. Yeah. <laughs> But he's quite a well-known player because because uh, he got called up to this World Cup squad just because his mother was born in that country. Um, oh, Chris Birchall. Chris Birchall, indeed, is correct. Mm. 2006 World Cup for Trinidad and Tobago. Mm. So that's five. Um, okay, uh, one of them's a one-game wonder that me and uh, Dan ban- banged on about quite a bit. Before no. your time, to be fair, so you might struggle a little on this one. Uh, played for Cameroon at the 1990 World Cup. It's oh, Jean uh, Pagal. Jean Claude Pagal. Yep, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, in fact, I, I, I told the lie there. There was another Republic of Ireland player, but not at the 2002 World Cup. In the 1990 and 1994 World Cup, a former Carlo player or manager, hint hint, uh, was in the Republic of Ireland squad for those uh, two John World Ch- Cups. John Sheridan. John Sheridan indeed was in the mm-hmm. Ireland squad for those two competitions. Um, okay, so I think going back, you've got them. Uh, you've got four more to guess now you're going to struggle with some of these to be honest with you uh, one of them played for Poland at the 1986 and 1990 World Cup not a clue it's Darius Kubicki he played I think about nine games for us at the start of the 98-99 season um, ok so the, the three remaining ones um, are all pre-Peter Beardsley and you will not get them so I'm going to have okay. to give people the answers to these so uh, the first one the first Cal United um, representative at a World Cup or play used to play for Carlisle is Ivor Brodis in 1954 for England uh, he went to that World Cup um, 
and the, the other two are former managers and they uh, both play for Northern Ireland and they are Harry Gregg who played for Northern Ireland in the 1958 World Cup. I mean, literally months after he was involved in the Munich air crash as well, which is mm. quite incredible. And uh, David McCreary, he played. He was at the 1982 and 1986 World Cups for Northern Ireland. So there you go. So that's the 11. So if anyone wants to play along with family and friends who maybe don't listen to the podcast, I'll give you the answers there. So these are former Cal United managers or players uh, who've been in World Cup squads, and they are Ivor Brodus in, for England in 1954, Harry Gregg for Northern Ireland in 1958, Dave McCreary for Northern Ireland in 1982 and 1986. Peter Beardsley for England in 1986 and 1990. Darius Kubicki for Poland in 1986 and 1990. Jean-Claude Bagal for Cameroon in 1990. John Sheridan for the Republic of Ireland in 1990 and 1994. Ian Hart for the Republic of Ireland in 2002. Chris Birchall for the Trinidad and Tobago in 2006. Pascal Chimbonda for France in 2006. And Jordan Pickford for England in 2018. And hopefully we'll be getting Pickford and Dean Henderson in the uh, 2000 and, sorry, 2022 World Cup in Qatar. And maybe Jared Branfight. You never know. Yeah, it's coming We hope We hope so, because uh, we'll be getting a nice big wedge of cash if that happens, yeah. I think it's fair to say. Um, Mike, that's it for this episode. Um, thanks once again for joining me. Really do appreciate it. Uh, as ever, if you've got any comments or feedback, and we've had a few emails recently, thank you for sending those in. A lot of people talking positively about the content on the show. We really do appreciate that. If you've got any comments or feedback, you can contact us by email to bruntabugle at gmail.com, uh, via Twitter to at bruntabugle, or you can catch us on the Be Just and Fear Not Facebook group. On uh, We're always on there having a chat about all things Carlisle United. Um, as ever, if, you, if you've not done so yet, you can subscribe to the show on any good podcast app, so Acast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, um, anything like that, basically, give give it a try and uh, you'll get every episode then straight into your inbox. Um, so yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Uh, Mike, the world map of listeners, we've got a new country. Go on. It's the Philippines. We've got a listener in Manila. So uh, Manila Blues, we're giving you a shout out there. If you want to drop us an email or maybe uh, contact us on Twitter, we'll give you a proper shout out by name on the show if you really want. If you're listening anywhere across the world, um, I do wonder if people actually get to this point in the show. <laughs> they probably stop before they get this far. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're listening in any country like Spain, I think we've, we've had contact from the Spain listener, but listeners in Chile or in Kenya or in France or Mexico, if you want to give, us a, to give you a shout out, Drop us a message and we'll give you a shower at the end of the show. Definitely well up for that. Um, Mike will be back next week. I think me and Dan are actually going to try and record a special show uh, early next week because we've got a bit of spare time, both of us. I think we're both off one day next week. So uh, we're not sure what that's going to be yet, but we'll obviously let you know uh, once it is recorded. Uh, We'll be back probably Wednesday, Thursday again next week, Mike, I think, to review the next two games. Probably talk about how the season's over, maybe. Yeah. If I haven't ended it all by then, I'll uh, I'll speak to you then. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, up the blues. Up the blues.